Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Start and end your day with the good news. The good news with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at AngieAustinRadio.com. Now, here's Angie Austin and friend with the good news. Hey, Angie Austin and friend today, author and speaker Robbie Yopes is joining me for my top good news segment. Hello, Robbie Yopes. Good morning, Angie. How are you? It's afternoon, but I am fine. I am. Good afternoon. It's, you're right. Oh, my goodness. I do that all the time, and Jorge gives me like a dirty look. And I Sorry, Jorge, you do. He gives me a dirty look. Uh, so here's an interesting thing going on today because my kindergartner is sick. Robbie and I are normally face-to-face, but because my kindergartner is home, I needed to stay home today. And, Robbie, I have to tell you, can I give you like a, a parent guilt thing that happened yesterday? Please do. Apparently, my daughter went into the mean nurse's office. She called they all, the kids all call her the mean nurse. Which, I, if you're a nurse, I thought you had to be like not <laughs> nice. I thought it was like part of the job description. Like, also have to be nice. So anyway, they go into the mean nurse, and uh, apparently, she had a fever and a sore throat. And I didn't answer the phone yesterday. I must have been in the studio. I oh, didn't no. know that they'd called. My husband was in Los Angeles, and my mom was at the grocery store. So my poor daughter is like crying in the nurse's office, and like you know, um, our family. You know, is not, is nowhere to be found to rescue my six year old from the nur- from mean nurse. Oh my goodness! Don't they have an emergency contact? Because well, that's happened. That's happened to me, and my neighbor has gone to pick up Noah. Hmm. Well, apparently we are irresponsible, and it's another <laughs> example of bad parenting. I think my mom's emergency pet contact, and her cell phone's in her drawer at home. She doesn't charge it. Ah. Yeah. Well, it was try. It was. She did use it though in her defense until it went dead, and then she's like, "Ah, charging it. That's too much of a hassle." <laughs> You know what? It happens to everybody. <laughs> so she's home. And so I want to tell you who's coming up. Uh, Terry Law, there's a book about him called Storm Chaser. Oh, and nice. he is mind-blowing because he's been to 60 countries. He smuggles Bibles into Iran. Um, he was just he just returned from the Middle East, and he was studying ISIS, and which, as a Christian, as you know, can be, let's be honest, a little dangerous. Absolutely. And he's trying to interest young people who feel called to do mission work, um, you know, into the type of work he does. And I said, well, it's pretty dangerous. It's scary because ISIS uses the weapon of fear and it works on a lot of people. And I'll be honest, it would work on me. Like I'm, I would be afraid to go there. I would. Yeah, there's no way, you know, I mean, uh, another subject, but we really all need to be praying that ISIS will be completely obliterated. I, it's scary. It's scary. It is scary, but I, I think I'm glad that he um, is trying to get young people who felt the same call that he did. You know, his wife passed away, and he just said, you know, I just want to serve God in any way he feels I should. should. He said, you know, t- people tried to stone him to death and other things when he's been traveling and delivering mm. Bibles around the world, particularly in the Middle East, and he feels this is—and when I said once, well, it kind of brought me to tears, like, why do you risk your life? And he said, well, somebody's got to do it. Wow. That sounds like an incredible man. 
So he'll join us next. And then also Dr. Joe Arvey, and you know, he's really got a passion for health. He's got a free event this Saturday. I'll be there at 930 at his office in North Glen, and he'll tell you how to be part of that as well. All right. You found a cool story because it is teacher appreciation. I think it's day and week. Uh, yes, I on Facebook, there's all sorts of pictures of parents doing things for their teachers, Aww. their kids' teachers. Oh, yet another I, example of poor parenting. I haven't done anything yet. I have not either. Of course, my son's in high school, but I have not done either. So you're not alone. A lot of us don't. Is he, does he have favorite teachers in high school that maybe you could do? It Maybe you could do something special for one of the teachers? Because I do gift cards from time to time and try to get them, you know, things for restaurants and such. And I do send notes just when they do something in particular or my child is excelling in some way, I'll send a note saying like, you know, one of the sure. teachers is like straight out of central casting. I told her that I describe her as Mary Poppins uh, teamed with a teacher <laughs> with really good blonde hair. And that, no. you know, she's like straight out of central casting. If I could pick a teacher, if I could make one, I would make her. <laughs> no, well, you know, no, it doesn't have a lot of favorite teachers, but um, he doesn't like school that much. But what I do is at Christmas and at the end of the year, I try, I'm not perfect, but I try to send a little something to school, like a little snack or something. And I email them, especially last year when Noah was sick yes. and he missed three weeks of school. Yes. I emailed and I thanked the teachers constantly. I told them principal, all, a list of them and how wonderful they were. So I try. Well, what, what, you know, um, I, I came across a list of terri- uh, a list of the traits of terrific teachers and you were a teacher and I'm not going to go through them all, but this is from another teacher. And he said, adaptable, believer, counselor, diverse, energizer, bunny, father, mother, guide, honest, innovative, ja- innovative, jack of all trades. I mean, if you think about it, there's so much they have to do. And there's also the behind the scenes aspect of knowing that some kids are coming from difficult backgrounds and not coming to school properly fed and or clothed and getting bullied or maybe it's that kid in the classroom that the mothers are all complaining about, you know, Billy did this and, oh, Billy's mm-hmm. a problem again. But the mo- the teacher may know that Billy's got serious problems at home and understands yes. why Billy's acting out. And so I think that's a difficult situation for teachers to be in. And I want to ask your opinion. Yesterday I was talking on air about my son was in this bullying kind of incident out on the playground, but it mm-hmm. wasn't kids his age. It was after school and it was middle school kids that had come over from the middle school and mm-hmm. they, they were cursing and they were playing soccer and they threw my son to the ground and then ah. when, and he like saw stars so he comes up crying with no shoe on covered in grass stains and then you know I'm kind of feisty I confronted the boys Yes. And then Riley heard a sermon that night about being kind to others who aren't kind to you. And he decided he was going to bring them candy yesterday. Which, oh, my word. Which he did. And it was raining, so he only was able to give one boy the candy. So I'm going to tell you what the boy said, and then I want to ask you how you'd handle it because you've been a teacher in that environment. Okay. So he hands the boy the candy, and the, the, the boy also has a little brother who's in third grade like my kid. Mm-hmm. So the little brother um, looks at the big brother, and the big brother says to my son, well, "What's what did you do to it? Because he's thinking, why are you giving me candy? We threw you down on the ground yesterday, and we were cursing in front of you. Sure. And so my son said, nothing. I didn't do anything to it. And then the little boy, the brother, says, well, aren't you, aren't you going to say something? And then the older boy says to my son, thank you. Really, so- really soft. And, uh, you know, he was probably embarrassed that this kid was doing sure. something nice for him. And I was so impressed by his courageousness. My husband said, I'd call the police and get him over there and say they assaulted our kid and make a big scene, make the parents come to the school and pick him up and make a big deal out of it. I said, well, 
<laughs> I just I just said, you know, did you guys bully a little kid? And they said no. And then another person said, well, why don't you email the principal of the grade school and let him know these older kids are coming to pick up their little siblings and that they're causing problems on the playground. And then another mom said, well, I would just tell him to stay away from them. Yeah. You know, I, I, A, I think your son is amazing. No, thank you. I mean, what a great kid and how you've raised him because he's following the Bible. I mean, you heap burning coals of kindness on somebody's head, your enemy's head. He's loving his enemies. I mean, way to go. Way to go. And I don't have that kind of guts. Absolutely. And it takes conviction too. A lot of uh, kids might think of that and think, oh, that'd be a great thing to do, but wouldn't have the conviction to actually do it. Mm-hmm. And I would not call, I wouldn't call the police, bless your husband's heart. I wouldn't call. <laughs> they make a big deal out of it. The parents said, I'll never, I'll guarantee you they'll never do that again. <laughs> well, that's true. But um, on a first time, I don't, I think that's a little excessive. <laughs> but if it happens again, you betcha. You make a big stop and uh, and make the the middle school kids know you can't do that. You can't mess around. But I am just so impressed with your son, you know. And I know that as uh, as moms, um, we really really want to defend our kids at all costs. Yeah. But it's really good to teach your your kids to defend themselves and to do what's right. And it sounds like your son, um, excellent excellent reaction. Well, I have to tell you, I, I have admired his courage in many cases. There was another boy, and you know how depression with these teenagers is so scary. There was an older boy from the high school, and he was at the little park behind the grade school. They're all within walking distance. And he had his head, like, down on a picnic table, like, just mm. covered. Like, I don't know if he was listening to music or – but he had his arms crossed and his head down on the picnic table. And I thought, well, that's a sad scene. Is he resting or is he awake? And he appeared yeah. to be awake. So my son walks over, and he said, hey, buddy – are you doing all right? Is everything okay? And he said, yeah, I'm fine. He goes, you sure? He goes, yeah, I'm fine. I'm like, wow, that kid's got guts, my kid. Because I, even <laughs> as a mom, I'm like, I don't know if I want to bother him. You know, I don't know if right. I'm invading his space. So, yeah. <laughs> he has a weapon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, right. Your, your son, who knows what God's going to do with him? Because right now he's honing this incredible skill of courage and conviction under your roof. But who knows what the Lord will do with him when he gets out of your house? That's that's really cool. Well, I Very. do have to say, not to brag, but he did just win an award at school for including others, or including other kids, and always encouraging them. And wow. so I thought that's kind of a cool award for a third grader to get. And then his teacher got tears in her eyes. She said, "I've just not known a boy who um, cared about others the way that he does." So oh. I I do have to say that did make me feel kind of good as as a mom. But uh, enough about my son. I have a, I have another topic I want to, <laughs> I want to talk about. How about my husband? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> let's just go through your family. Go ahead. <laughs> I have to tell you. Oh, I have a way of transitioning to let's enough about me. How about something more about um, my life? Sure. <laughs> this it's your show. <laughs> enough about me. What do you think of my hair? Exactly. Um, remember that one? All right. Yeah. So I came across this article and I thought this is so perfect for you to talk about. Um, it's how to deal if your sp- how to deal when your spouse is suffering from burnout. And right. you offered me some ideas about encouraging our husbands. And I think rather I have a great husband and he's been in the startup for two years. So the first year, you know, I, I kind of put up with more. The second year, I was like, I want my husband back, the one that I had before the startup, you know? Right. And so you gave me some ideas for, you know, 
topic we could talk about how to encourage our husbands when they're suffering from burnout. And the other day he Googled entrepreneurs and depression and he went, you know, mm. it's, it's really common, you know, and I'm like, well, thank goodness he realizes that this is something that you may deal with when you're, you know, doing a startup. So sure. with that said, he's a little more controlling. He seems to be a little depressed. He's, you know, working 70 hours a week and he's a little grumpier. Let's be honest, a little grumpier. And so yeah. you had some ideas about encouraging husbands. You've been married how long? Um, almost 19 years. Oh, excellent. Okay. I'm on 11 this month. So let's, well let's done. I'll get some expertise from you, my friend. I'm going to let you talk now. <laughs> well, I love the list on the internet, internet, how to deal with your spouse when he's going through burnout. I loved, you know, don't panic. Yeah. Because it's very, I mean, especially as women, we can go to the bad place. Well, this means a, he's having an affair. This means he's going to leave us. This means he's going to have to have drugs to get over his depression. But you know what? Things happen. Stress comes. Burnout happens. Don't panic. Um, remind yourself they're normal. You know, this is normal part of the cyclical aspect of life. So don't do that. But then also get a support, get support. You know, don't panic, but talk to somebody that's not your husband about it. And just especially for women, we need to get out our feelings. We need to vent a little bit. So talk about how he's making you feel without telling him necessarily, because especially go ahead. I like that. Don't panic. You said, because for the first year, I didn't panic. Second year, ah, a little panicky. You know, like, I'm like, oh, I want my husband back. Okay, so as far as recognize it and talking about it, I think we need to talk about it, but they yes. do too. And sometimes I think they might need professional, like someone to talk to them because I find some of the topics he has to talk about with partners and stuff kind of depressing. And sometimes this, mm-hmm. when I feel that the partners aren't very supportive or they're pointing fingers, I get really defensive of my husband. But with sure. that said, at least the guy likes to talk like crazy. I mean, you can't shut him up. I mean, he comes home, he wants to talk for an hour about the business. So at least he (laughs) is expressing himself. Even my sister-in-law, he's out there on a business trip and she goes, well, one thing's for sure. He definitely gets his feelings out. He likes to. (laughs) That's excellent. You know, a lot of men don't. Wow. You know, I seriously, I think that's fantastic. And you're right though. Sometimes they do need somebody professional. Yeah. And I, I'm reading a book called do over, um, by John A. Cuff, and he talks about doing over a career. It's really oh, good. You should get you, it for your husband. You just broke up but, a little bit. Did you say John A. Cuff? Yes. I've heard him speak. He's interesting about do over. He said he used to quit jobs like every, he'd just get sick of them and he'd quit like every six months. Uh huh. He hasn't done that in a while, though. Yeah, yeah. And this, this book is incredible. One thing he says is that you make a list of people that you know um, that will help you in your career. So it might be good for your husband to sit down and think of people that he's not dealing with, that he knows that are are good with startups or good with careers and make an appointment take them out to coffee and talk to them. That actually is a good idea because I have someone that's like the Energizer Bunny. He's like Tigger on seven pots of of coffee. Oh, my word. Yeah, the guy (laughs) is so – in fact, I call him my pot of coffee. If I'm having a uh, bad day, I'm like, oh, we got to get him in as a guest because (laughs) he is such an upper. Now, he'd be a great guy for my husband to have lunch with. That's a good idea. And he'd do that favor for me. So that's a good idea. Okay, so they need to be encouraged themselves. They need to – don't panic. Um, You need to talk about it if your husband's facing burnout they need to talk about it i also think you have to be careful about saying negative you know things to you other people 
little about your husband, you know, just trying to explain, you know, what's going on. And also, I love the tip that was in the article you and I were reading about um, encourage them in positive directions, because I've really talked to him about exercise, you know, going to the doctor, Mm -hmm. um, trying to do things on the weekend. See, I can kind of compartmentalize, Robbie, on the weekend, all my stresses, I have like a filing cabinet in my brain, and I put all those things in the very last file, and then I move on for the weekend. And then I go back to them. I have a list for Monday, and then I readdress the stressful things on my to-do list. But on the weekend, I put them at the back of the filing cabinet of my brain. Yeah, but he he can't do that. He stresses out, loses weight. Yeah. Well, you know, my husband uh, is going through a really stressful time with his work right now. And last weekend I said, John, why don't you, it's a beautiful day. It's not raining. Get on your motorcycle and go take a ride. And I said it for him, but I said it for me too, Yeah. because I wanted the stress to leave the house. (laughs) And sure enough, he went on like a five hour ride. He came back a, a new guy. Huh. A new guy. Yeah. I mean, they need to find something that will that will make them feel positive about their life. You well, know? I, I think that's a great idea, whether it be a massage or a getaway for the weekend. Sometimes if we get away, that helps them as well. So sure. I like all these. All right. I have another kind of cool topic. It's about um, one simple step to happiness. Do you know what it is? Did you read the article I sent you? I did. What do you do think you of me- it? Yeah. I, it's gratitude. It's absolutely, you know, when I saw that, I thought, oh, this is interesting. One simple step because most articles are four or five or right. 10. Yeah, three and I thought, sure. so I thought, oh yeah, right. One simple step. That's not going to, and then I opened it. And of course it's gratitude. If you're thankful about everything, perspective comes, perspective leads to contentment. So I totally agree with the article. What do you think? Well, and I love it says, what makes people unhappy is the gap between where they are now, today, and where they want to be. Most Mm. people don't enjoy the journey. They think the happiness will come when they arrive at that destination, the promotion, the perfect weight, when they get married, when they have a baby. That's when they think the happiness will arrive. And I was listening to a pastor the other day that said, if you can't be happy in a trailer, you won't be happy in a mansion. That's right. Absolutely. I so agree with that because that kind of discontent that you build up, not being happy where you are right now, when you get to the next status level, that discontent goes with you and it comes eventually because it's such a pattern in your life. Well, you and I have been friends for like two years and you've been very honest. You've shared your testimony that you've battled depression. And a couple of times when I didn't know that, I took it personally when I thought that you were out of touch, you know, and I I do too kind of uh, isolate when I'm feeling a little low. And so Mm -hmm. share with us some of the things that you've done over the years in terms of your faith, your Christian faith, in order to regain that happiness and pull yourself out of a hole when you're feeling low and blue and depressed. Well, you know, we serve a God that is always here and he's our helper. The spirit is a helper. And so I I just have to sit for me. I have to sit quietly and pray, dig into the word and then listen. And that helps me get perspective on where I am. There's a, a kind of a spiritual energetic boost. Then I have to move. I have to exercise, I have to walk, I have to um, dance to worship music or dance, you know, to um, Hootie and the Blowfish, whatever. Yeah. But but I have to dance and then uh, the chemicals in my system will work out. So um, hanging out with the Lord and then moving and then the third one always is doing something for somebody else. Get my mind off myself. Yeah. 
And that 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 is a big part of who you are. I love that. You know, sometimes I feel overwhelmed. I tell you, I feel like I've been shot out of a cannon. And when I get up at three o'clock in the morning, I just thank God to have the opportunity to do a show that I hope, you know, um, encourages people. And then as I go through the day, I feel like it's a marathon. So I go from five hours in the chair doing a live show, Daybreak USA, which if you're listening in Denver, it's on 8, 10 a.m. and then around the country. And then after that, I prep for my next show. And then you come in and we do the good news, the show right here. Mm-hmm. And then um, I pick the kids up from school and maybe do a conference call or meet with a client But before I pick them up. Then I pick them up and it's like, again, the hardest part of my day is homework. And then mm-hmm. we have swimming and then we have dinner or whatever sport we have, Boy Scouts, dance, That's cooking amazing. class. And then I try to walk during whatever sport they have. I try to get three to five miles in per day. And most of that I do during their sport. So I circle around and watch them, you know, but I'm moving as I'm watching. And then I go to bed and I get back up at 3 a.m. And I feel like it's a marathon, like each week is a marathon. But I have to say, we're almost out of time. I just talked my way out of all our time. But I want to say that you're a real blessing to me. You're a bright ray of sunshine in my week. And I so appreciate you. Oh, I think the same thing about you, Angie. Good, you should. Thank God for good. <laughs> thank God for good humble friends. Give us your website, Robbie Yopes. RobbieYopes.com. I O B S T. Oh, I love you, friend. We'll be right back with the good news. Eight ten a.m. KLVZ, where love lives. Monica Hawkins Ministries is an evangelical ministry whose focus is to serve others and to be a voice that shares the word of God and his love. We would like for you and your family to come and fellowship with us during our biweekly Bible study. And on the first Saturday of every month, we have our women's ministry, Women of Strength. Our Bible studies are located at the Highlands Ranch East Ridge Recreation Center. For more information, please visit our website, Monica Hawkins Ministries, Do you need money for your school or maybe you need money for your organization? I have a great idea for you. It's called Buck a Bag. So you get all the parents, let's say, at your school to bring in clothing and shoes. And for every medium-sized bag, your school or organization gets a dollar. A thousand bags of clothing and shoes, you get a thousand dollars. And then all of those bags of goods go to ARC and all of that money will then in turn help the disabled community. I have Miranda from ARC here. Uh, Tell us a little more, Miranda. Yes, it's a wonderful fundraiser. It's very popular among schools, sports organizations, churches. It's a great way to earn money for your nonprofit organizations. Excellent. Collect bags and boxes of donations. Give us a call. We'll come pick them up, count them, and then pay you accordingly, a dollar per bag or per box. It's a great way to raise money for your school or not-for-profit organization. Tell us how we do it. Give us your website and instructions, Miranda. You can find our contact information on arcthrift.org. Click on Mission and then click on Raise Money for Your Cause and you'll find my contact information there. Excellent. A buck a bag. Do you ever feel like you're just searching for a church and you just can't find the right one? Well, I must have looked for about 10 years. I have to tell you, I've never been so excited to go to church. I feel that Pastor John Moreland, my pastor, that's you, John, um, has a real gift for teaching. And there's so much love in that church. And I've never felt more welcome. And I have to tell you, Pastor Moreland, I just... I, I love going to church now. I learn something every week, and, I, and I, I just feel so blessed by you. It makes me cry. Well, I'm humbled to hear you say that. Denver Christian Bible Church is about two things. One, we want to make genuine connections with people, and two, we want to genuinely connect those people to Jesus. 
Thursday night we connect. You can go to dinner. You get to know people. And then on Sundays, I just feel like it's a time of getting together and learning. And I feel I'm always hugged. I've never been hugged so many times in my life by people who are really happy to see me there. And so I feel like I'm growing, but I also feel like I have a support system at Denver Christian Bible Church. So if people would like to come, how do they reach you, Pastor Moreland? Please go to our website. You can download our sermons for free and find out where we are, denverbible.org. Love Lives, 810 KLVZ. Welcome back to the good news. Terry Law, he is an everyday hero. He doesn't think he is, but I sure do. Who is Terry Law? Well, he's an author, he's an evangelist, Bible teacher. He's conducted missions to more than 60 nations more than 60 countries throughout his 50-plus years in ministry, sharing the gospel and openly advocating for the religious liberties of Christians in some of the world's most dangerous places, including Iraq. He just returned from Iraq, and we'll talk to him about that journey. Um, Iraq, Iran, Israel, Afghanistan, Russia, and North Korea, to name a few of those 60 countries. And uh, when I interviewed him just about, oh, three, four weeks back before he went to Iraq, I said, so how do you get Bibles into Iran? And he talked about smuggling them in. And I'm like, isn't this dangerous? And Terry, it kind of blew my mind, uh, you know, the risks you put yourself into in Iraq and Iran. And uh, you said, well, somebody's got to do it. Welcome back to the show. (laughs) Thanks, Angie. It's good to be with you again today. Well, um, tell us first about your book, and then I want to get into your whole trip to Iraq and what you did this time, because I know you want young people uh, who feel called to mission work um, to follow in your footsteps. Uh, the name of the book is Storm Chaser. I didn't write it. I commissioned it to be written uh, by James uh, Gilbert, Angie. It's actually the Terry Law story. Yes, Storm, we, Storm Chaser, we, the Terry Law story by James Gilbert. Yes, thank that's you. That's right. We, we cover a, ver- a wide, vast uh, area of experiences. I've been uh, all over the world, and we have usually been in pressure situations. I believe that the Lord has called me to go to the hostile places, the places where people don't go, uh, want Christianity. That's why we're on the ground in China. We teach uh, 2,500 students uh, in our Bible school there. Uh, we have built an orphanage in Burma uh, for children, uh, rescuing them from the sex slave trade. Uh, we've taught 8,000 widows in uh, Afghanistan to read and write, taught them computers, etc. So we, we've got a, a thoroughgoing ministry around the world, but uh, this book is totally different. Um, God has given me an unusual opening, Angie, to get... I, I remember back in 2005, I was in the White House on five different occasions, kind of doing a shuttle diplomacy thing with Iraq when the war was going on in Iraq. And there's a lot of inside stories of the government, what the government was doing, and and yet uh, what the kingdom of God was doing. And uh, we, have, uh, we have been in, uh, on the ground in Iraq now for 12 years. Uh, I support 4,000 refugees every, every month with food. Um, it's, uh, we're seeing churches established. I led a young man to the Lord uh, 10 days ago, Angie, who fought with Peshmerga against ISIS. He was in battle with ISIS every night. And we were only, I was only 40 miles from the ISIS lines. And uh, this young man uh, had had a rare experience, uh, and he wanted to talk to me about it. He didn't understand what it was. He was a Muslim. And um, he'd had three uh, angelic 
revelations or whatever you would call it, angelic appearances, Angie, and he uh, he didn't know why it was going on. He, he said uh, he had dreams of angels, and he said he, uh, you know, one one of the battles when he was fighting ISIS, and he was talking just two weeks ago, three weeks ago. And uh, they had gone into an ISIS, a village where ISIS had uh, been chased out, and they had to go looking for IEDs, uh, improvised explosive devices. And uh, he he went to a certain uh, house to open the door. The commander told him to check the house out. And an angel appeared beside him and held his hand back from opening the door. And uh, two hours later... A couple of other young men opened that door and it were blown to, to eternity. And uh, he said, when, when I saw the, their explosion, he said, I just stood there trembling. And he said, why? I, I explained it. I said, what you were seeing is angels. And he, di- he didn't understand angels. Uh, he was Muslim, of course. And he said, well, why would God care about me? I'm not a very good man. And I said, well... Um, <clears throat> is there anybody praying for you? He says, yeah, my sister's a Christian. She prays all the time. Wow. I said, well, I said, in the Bible, angels often appear when people pray. I said, when Peter was in jail in Acts 12, and the church started praying, an angel came and got him out of jail. I said, God has shown that uh, you are a chosen one of his. And he began to cry. And I said, uh, would you mind if I prayed a prayer with you right now? He said, no. So uh, he repeated the prayer after me. We had to speak quietly, Angie. We were in a Muslim restaurant. And if anybody knew I was leading a Muslim to the Lord in their restaurant, I think uh, there would have been some really real repercussions. But he prayed the sinner's prayer. And then uh, just four, five days ago, last week, the end of last week, they had an explosion in Erbil, and they tried. ISIS tried to blow up the uh, the U.S. consulate there, and my friend missed the explosion by about one minute. Uh, there was a, an American girl that was injured on the sidewalk. He took her to the hospital for three for three hours. He was attending her there, and then he called my friend who was in charge of our work, and he said, "Please tell Terry Law." He said that I am now a follower of Jesus. Wow. Right in the middle of Iraq. Unbelievable, Right in the middle huh? of the war. Well, let's talk about what you do while you're there and, you know, um, how you avoid getting killed, you know, when you're sometimes smuggling Bibles, you know, into Middle Eastern con- countries. The problem with the Bibles is I can't tell you how I do it, ah. Angie, because there might be people listening and uh, my my delivery systems have got to remain quiet, but... It's funny. It's really funny how we do it. But we're we're getting Bibles into Iran. I suspect one of the biggest revivals that Islam has ever seen in the last 1,400 years is going on in Iran right now. And we know that Iran is an enemy of the United States. They're trying to get a nuclear weapon. But uh, underground, there are, I estimate, somewhere between 2, 3, 4 million. We're not exactly sure of the number, but millions uh, of believers have come to Christ in Iran within the last five years, most of it by satellite television being beamed down into the country. 
Now, when you, uh, that's unbelievable. You know, when you're, when you're over there, um, you know, you told me you were going to be um, doing some research on ISIS as well. Uh, yes. What did you learn while you were over there? Well, I'm, we're, I'm writing a book with my friend who wrote my uh, biography, uh, James Gilbert. Uh, we're working on the manuscript now to describe some of the things that ISIS is doing. Uh, I, I think perhaps the sh- most shocking thing that I've learned about ISIS is their apocalyptic view of the world. ISIS believes that these are the end times. I mean, they are extreme Islam, and they are, they are purely of the Muslim faith, but they have twisted the Bible accounts around. And the reason that they've had such power in being able to recruit young people from America and Canada and Western Europe is because they have painted them a scenario of the end of days. Mm. And they believe, and I'm talking within a year, two years, three years, they're, they're, they're believing that uh, the, the Muslim Messiah will return. And what is really strange for most Christians to ever try to understand is the fact that most Muslims believe that Jesus is a Muslim because he is one of their prophets. And they believe that Jesus is coming back again to establish a Muslim caliphate across the face of the entire earth. And they are calling young people to die because they're going to, in in, in their dying, they will institute the whole coming, the, the end of times that is prophesied fairly obliquely in the Quran, but mainly in the Hadith. There's talk about the end of the world and uh, the Muslim uh, taking over of the world. But ISIS believes this radically, and they're calling on young people to die. That's really the whole thing they're doing. Mm-hmm. And in all of their battles going on, and, and I talked to the, I was with the leaders of the Peshmerga army, uh, the Iraqi Peshmerga, uh, they're actually Kurds, and they are the strongest fighting force in the Middle East outside of Israel. The best soldiers over there. I talked to the, the generals and the men who are running it. They, they begged me, please have America send us some weapons. We're, we have no bullets. We're, we're trying to uh, throw ISIS back. But uh, ISIS, in, uh, in their theology, they, when you go back, they go back to the days of Muhammad, and they're trying to recreate the days of Muhammad, Angie. That means Muhammad beheaded, so they behead. Uh, Muhammad sold women into slavery, so they're doing that. There were crucifixions as well in the time of Muhammad. And, and ISIS is claiming to be the purest form of Islam on the face of the earth. In other words, they're better than all other Muslims because they are sticking close to the, uh, the historic text of Islam, which is the Quran. They're doing what Muhammad did, and so therefore that is their, uh, that is their MO. They're, they're, they're doing what they believe Muhammad wants them to do. So when you're in the Middle East, how do other Muslims feel about them? Other Muslims are terrified of them. Most of the people in the Middle East that are being massacred Angie, by ISIS, are other Muslims. Interesting. 
that there, there's two major brands of, of uh, Islam. Uh, the Sunnis are by far the largest. Eighty percent of all Muslims are Sunni. There's 20 percent of Muslims are Shia. And Sunni and Shia are killing each other everywhere. In fact, ISIS has put uh, a hit on the entire Shia nation. Now, Iran, next door to Iraq, is all Shia. Iraq itself is 60% Shia. So the Sunnis, who are the minority, are ganging up against the Shia, and the massacres are unbelievable. They're, they're declaring them, they have a word, they call it takfir, which means apostate, because uh, the Shia practice Islam different than the Sunnis, then they are outcasts and they got to be killed. So ISIS is slaughtering uh, major uh, amounts of of, uh, of Shia. But uh, you know the the sad thing that I saw when I was there, I I uh, had a a personal conversation with the Archbishop Daoud, who was the head of the uh, Syriac uh, Orthodox Church. In Mosul, in Mosul, or, had the big, oh, Terry. Hold on, I big, want to I want to reset for people who are just joining us. Uh, I, I, we're talking with Terry Law. He's been to over sixty countries. He brings the Bible to countries that don't have easy access to the Bible. He's just a turn a return from Iraq, and uh, we're talking also about the book that was written about him. At the heart of every storm uh, lies the power. Uh, of God to change your world, Storm Chaser, the Terry Law story. So go ahead, continue. You met with this uh, Archbishop, you said. Yes, the Archbishop Daoud, uh, a big man, a huge red beard, and uh, he has uh, he had to flee when ISIS came to Mosul last June. Uh, it, was, it was horrific when he described the scenario of what took place the night that ISIS came. We all know that all the Iraqi soldiers put down their weapons and ran, and uh, they were Shia. And uh, ISIS has swept through the Sunni half of Iraq, and they uh, have uh, they have marshaled the Sunnis against the Shia, which is the traditional war in the Middle East. But the, the, the archbishop said the night that they came, he said, my people fled. He said it was like a river. And uh, he said, a river of people running. Most people had no vehicles. They grabbed what they could carry, and they had headed into the desert for a 50-mile trip from Mosul over to Erbil, which is the capital of Kurdistan, running through the desert, some of them dragging suitcases, and you know, with clothes or whatever. Uh, I'm talking about doctors, lawyers, engineers. I'm talking very educated Christian people who had to leave their home because ISIS uh, gave them a chance. ISIS drove through the streets when they arrived, and they said uh, on their uh, trucks with machine guns on the back and with loudspeakers, and they said anybody who will not convert to claiming that Allah is uh, God and Muhammad is his prophet, anybody who will not say that, uh, has one a choice to say that, or we will execute them. And uh, so I, I asked the archbishop, I said, he was quite emotional. I said, what happened to your people, the people you know, your, your Christian congregation? He said, well, as far as I know, he said there were six 
people who recanted their faith and converted to Islam, but he said uh, of the thousands, tens of thousands of Christians that were there in the Nineveh, Nineveh Valley when ISIS came, he said uh, thousands gave their lives for the name of Jesus. They would not bow, just like the three Hebrew children. They would not bow, they would not burn. And so ISIS executed them. Um, it was just, it's a horrible uh, situation. And he started to cry. He said, for the first time, he said, my church in Nineveh, Mosul, has been a Christian church for 2,000 years. It is celebrated Easter every year. And, of course, I was there at the uh, Eastern uh, Easter celebration. And he said, for the first time in 2,000 years, we could not celebrate Easter in our church. It is now uh, a Muslim mosque. Wow. And he wept. He said, uh, it, it, we are historic people. He said, we are elder brothers to all the other Christians in the world mm-hmm. because we were believers first. Right. And he's, t- he's accurate. And to be a and Christian. his heart was broken that... Uh, that um, he he couldn't do it. I mean, he was totally stymied, and uh, my my heart really went out. He was a true shepherd, shepherd of his own sheep. I I don't think that, Terry, I don't think a lot of Christians realize that there is a Christian community in the Middle East. You know, there there are large groups of Christians, and what you're doing, we're almost out of time, Terry, so I want to make sure, uh, you've just returned from Iraq, I want to make sure people know about you, um, how to reach the book, and how you're trying to reach a generation of younger people who might feel called to go into some of these dangerous places where you go and share their faith. Um, The book, again, is At the Heart of Every Storm Lies the Power of God to Change Your World, Storm Chaser, the Terry Law Story. Where's the best place to get the book, Terry? Do you have a website? Uh, you, can, you can go to stormchaser.org and uh, the book will be uh, there. They can follow me on Twitter at uh, Terry Law SC or Facebook, uh, again, Terry Law SC. They can get any information on the book that they want. Excellent. But again, I'm, I'm doing it for young people and uh, the idea is life can be exciting. God has some thrilling open doors for us if we'll just get out and do what God Thank you so much, Terry Law. We'll be right back with the good news. Hear about our victory in Jesus Christ. You are listening to 810 AM KLVZ, God's love in broadcasting. Well, if you want to attain your dreams and you want to reach your goals, Carrie Conley is the woman to do it. And we just had a great seminar. Boy, that was fun, and we learned so much. We It was a life changer, was it not? It changed my life last year and once again this year. Very inspirational. It's such a reward for me, Angie, when I see people, not only when I work with them one-on-one or in my small mastermind groups, but when you've got 200 people in a room and you can see them, I can see all their faces when I say something or somebody else says something where you can just know that that hit them to the core. And they made a huge shift in their life. And that's what it's all about. Well, you've really guided me in my career, achieving some of the goals that, you know, I had in mind over the last year. You helped me write it all down. If people want to work with you in the future, how do they get in touch with you and how do they work with you on achieving their goals, Carrie? So the best way to reach me is just through my website, infinitenation.com. And what I do is run mastermind groups that I bring people into for the year and help them achieve their goals, build their business, infinitenation.com. Thanks, Carrie. Thank you. This is a good place. I really like it. 
This is Eric. He's an ambassador with ARC Thrift Stores. Yeah, I started at the Brick Break and sorting the different Brick Break stuff also. Then I went to the showcase and then I got hired to be a cashier. He knows that with hard work and dedication that he will advance in the workplace because he also knows. They trust you to do a good job. And he loves where he works. I'm the opening cashier, so I'm there from 8 a.m. to 4.30 and I have to make sure the registers are ready to go, the right tags are on the computer so we could get the right discounts on there and make sure there's enough bags. Support ambassadors like Eric and the differently abled people in your community by shopping at ARC Thrift Stores. It's a very good place. It's Everybody's real positive and it feels good to be around that. ARC needs your donations of gently used clothing and household items. To find the most convenient donation station, donation box, or ARC Thrift Store location, go to arcthrift.com. That's arcthrift.com. Yeah, overall I'm very happy and thankful, like I said, about ARC. Monica Hawkins Ministries is an evangelical ministry whose focus is to serve others and to be a voice that shares the word of God and his love. We would like for you and your family to come and fellowship with us during our bi-weekly Bible study. And on the first Saturday of every month, we have our women's ministry, Women of Strength. Our Bible studies are located at the Highlands Ranch East Ridge Recreation Center. For more information, please visit our website, Monica Hawkins Ministries, 810 AM KLVZ, where love lives. Welcome back to the good news. Well, when you get on your scale, does it make you cry? Well, Dr. Joe says the numbers should not be what you're focusing on. You're supposed to focus on your health, and he has a big event that you can go to for free this weekend. Is that correct, Dr. Joe? Exactly. It's this weekend. It's called Who Broke My Scale? that I can imagine every morning people have conversations with their scale. Either they're begging it to please move, or they're ready to throw it through the window, or they complain about it because that scale is not their friend and it's not giving them good reports. And then the rest of the day people walk around mad or upset or frustrated because that scale told them that they were a bad person. Now that never happened, but that's usually what I see going on. And so we, if people are mad at their scale and that scale's not moving, and you swear even if you chopped your left leg off and didn't eat for three days, it still doesn't move. It's not broken. And I even heard some ladies, some people, not, it's not always ladies, but they, um, they like, this thing's not moving. Like for two weeks it didn't move. So she thought maybe it was broken, so she went and grabbed something and put it on there, and it didn't. It, it, it wasn't it, broken. It wasn't broken. Uh, but there's – if someone's weight doesn't change for weeks or months and you're working really hard to try to get it to change and you're spending money on 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 promises whether it's drinks whether it's foods whether it's vitamins whether it's shots whether whatever it is the you know hormone replacement and it's not moving then we need to figure out a different plan and so we have an online test that people can take for free uh, there's a hundred questions. Don't let that overwhelm you. It's pretty simple and easy. And then it's not like you have to have an essay for each question. No, no. <laughs> and, and and basically, people send me their name and their email address, and we send it right out to them, and they fill it out. And what it shows me as as the doctor, okay, what st- action steps are you taking on a daily, weekly, or monthly basis that is sabotaging your ability to make that scale move that you may not even be aware of. Well, and you said the other important thing is if you are a healthy person and if you're taking steps towards health, you need to be encouraged and not be discouraged because of a number on the scale. You say to me, like, if you reach that number on the scale, do all your dreams come true? I'm like, well, not necessarily. No, I don't. Yeah, getting that scale to move towards (laughs) zero doesn't guarantee (laughs) happiness. Right. It doesn't guarantee your 
you know, it doesn't guarantee anything. It doesn't guarantee health. It doesn't guarantee health. I just think a number means health, and it doesn't. Exactly. Moving that scale towards zero will not fix your depression. It will not fix your your eating habits. It will not fix your, your family. It will not fix anything. But if the way you're living your life... That scale can be a reflection of, yes, I'm doing a good job. Yes, because I get on a scale from time to time because sometimes I go, oh, I shouldn't have had this and that. Okay, how's my life? And it's a monitor, it helps you monitor what's going on, but it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't dictate what mood I'm going to have that day. And we or give, your value or, that day. Or the value or myself or my identity. I'm a bad person because whatever, and I need to do this and that. And, and we go through all kinds of just mental floss that really we allow it to beat ourselves up. And one of your favorite jokes is, you know, that, that cartoon I have is, is these two little girls standing around the scale saying, uh, don't get on it. It makes, it makes my mommy cry or something like that. You right, know? right. Don't get on it. It makes you cry. It's happens when mom gets on it. She cries. Well, what are we going to learn this weekend at your free event? Well, and you're when gonna, is it? You're going to learn about, okay, why won't this scale move the right direction? Is it my thyroid? Is it my hormones? Is, what about stress? Why am I not sleeping? Why am I not losing weight? And, and there, you know, the thing is, as your doctor, I really want to help you optimize your weight. I want you to be at your ideal weight. I want you to be at your healthy weight. So sometimes losing weight isn't really a good goal, but it's a, but sometimes it's also a good motivation if I say, hey, this is going to help you optimize your weight because we work with Olympic athletes and they need to be at a certain weight class so they can maximize their performance. So we don't just have them starve themselves or, or eat x locks and poop everything out you know although that was an old wrestling term we used to do that with wrestling many many, many years ago you that's, know okay well that's so that's a new one that's, all right never heard it before oh man come on i didn't even sell it jorge's laughing so maybe yeah. he knows about this one so, no yeah. he doesn't either it's, okay it, it was the original colon detoxer if you okay. would okay all right um, good to know good to know well yeah maybe good to know yeah, but... not to know but uh you never I mean you never made x lax brownies and gave them to, to your enemies and stuff like that no no oh no. i'm sorry this shows the good news yes it's the good news yeah. not yeah. the horrible news about x lax exactly so <laughs> the, the thing is is that we want you to be at your ideal weight we want you to be at a weight that's going to keep you healthy and strong that prevents heart disease cancer diabetes and alzheimer's that you are happy with who you are and that's what i want you to come to this is saturday in northland um Go to SpineGeek.com to get a hold of us, or you can text me at 303-349-6011. I'll send you the link and all the information, and we'll have fun. It's from 930 to 11 this Saturday. Uh, we're going to have fun. SpineGeek.com this Saturday. Excellent. Yep. All right. Thanks, Dr. Joe. Who broke your scale? Thanks for listening to The Good News with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at AngieAustinRadio.com. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.